Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the mercy of the Lord as we pick up in Psalm chapter 136, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Shall we turn now in our Bibles to Psalm 136? Throughout the 136th Psalm, we have the repeated phrase, For his mercy endureth forever. And this is repeated in each of the verses throughout the entire psalm. And so he begins the psalm by an exhortation of giving thanks. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Over and over in the psalms, this is a repeated kind of a refrain Remember, this is their songbook, and so one of the things of which they were constantly singing was the goodness of God and the mercies of God. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. And now he goes on to exhort praise and thanksgiving for God's creative acts. And he starts out in a general act of creation, and then he lists many of the creative acts of God. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by the day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and the stars to rule by night. And now he commands the praise and thanksgiving to God for his special blessings upon the nation Israel and for the creation of that nation. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn and brought Israel from among them with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, to him which divided the Red Sea into parts and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, to him that led his people through the wilderness, to him which smote great kings and slew famous kings, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, Og, the king of Bashan, and gave their land for a heritage, even a heritage unto Israel, who remembered us in our lowest state, and hath redeemed us from our enemies, who giveth food to all flesh. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Now, in a song such as this, quite often the men would take the first part And the women would answer in the refrain, for his mercy endureth forever. And so much as we sing some of the psalms where the women have sort of an after part, these particular psalms were were written, designed for this after part effect. So by the time you've sung this through, 
you get the impression that God's mercy endureth forever. And in all situations, under all circumstances, God's mercy endureth forever and is, and is something that comes across as you go through the psalm. It's something that's impressed then upon your heart. And that was the purpose, to impress truth upon the heart of the people. Psalm 137 is a psalm of captivity written many years after David's time written by one of those who were captive in Babylon. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yes, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captives required us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art to be destroyed, happy shall be he that rewards thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. So the psalm reflecting the Babylonian captivity, where the Babylonians required of them to sing some of your songs. Now, Singing is a very important part of Jewish life. One thing I like about the Israelis even today is their music. It has such life to it. And they have big music festivals over there all the time. We always try to purchase the records from these music festivals, even though I don't understand Hebrew. I enjoy listening to the music. There's such life to it. Quite often, our bus drivers and guides will get together in the evening, and they'll have a time of singing. And it's always exciting, these evenings of song. Their songs are exciting songs. There's just a lot of action, a lot of rhythm, a lot of exuberance in their song. You know, they Hava Negila, Hava Negila, you know, and they really get into it. They're just, you know, and, and you can feel it. And these guys just really love to, to sing, and it's a beautiful experience. But as in Ecclesiastes, there's a time to sing. And there are times when you don't feel like singing. And while they were captives in Babylon, and they were thinking of the desolation of Jerusalem, it was hard to sing of the joys of the land, of the blessings, of the prosperities, of the goodness of God. And so while in Babylon, their songs were silent. We hung our harps on the willow trees. We just sat down by the river and wept when we would think of Jerusalem. Their last memories of Jerusalem 
was the smoldering smoke ascending from a city that had been devastated. Looking back, they could see Solomon's once glorious temple flattened. And as they saw the desolation and it was implanted in their minds, now remembering it, hard to sing. Now, the psalmist, first of all, takes off against the Edomites. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. They were sort of perennial enemies of the Jews. Many battles against them, and they would often join with anybody who would attack Israel. They would attack too. Anytime Israel would be attacked by any of the aggressors from the north, they'd always attack from the south. And when the Babylonians were attacking, they came from Edom, and they were encouraging the Babylonians in the destruction of Jerusalem. Raise it, raise it to its foundation. Wipe it out. God, you reward them. Take care of them for that. And then because God's word had predicted the fall of Babylon, the psalmist, because of all of the injuries suffered by the people at the hands of the Babylonians, the psalmist with glee actually looked forward to the destruction of Babylon, the enemy of God. Now, in the New Testament, we are taught to love our enemies. These expressions of the psalmist really are not expressions of God in the sense that God never delights in judgment. God never delights in bringing his judgment upon a people or upon a nation. And yet we so often want to see the judgment of God fall upon the head of the wicked. We can hardly wait for the day of God's judgment. But God is not anxious to judge at all. God would much rather show mercy, for his mercy endureth forever. And God delights in mercy. You remember when God sent Jonah to Nineveh to warn that city, the Assyrian capital, of the impending doom, the judgment of God that was coming. Jonah didn't want to go. Why? He was afraid if he went, they might repent and God wouldn't judge him. He wanted to see God's judgment on Assyria. He wanted to see Nineveh wiped out. And so to help ensure God's judgment against them, he tried to take off for England so he could escape the call of God. And later on, when under pressure and duress, he went to Nineveh. And they did repent in sackcloth and ashes before the Lord. And God's mercy was extended to them. He got angry with God, went out and sat under a tree and said, okay, God, just wipe me out. And God said, what's the matter? You think, is it right for you to be so angry? He said, you bet your life. I knew that you were merciful. 
I knew. I was afraid this was going to happen. They were going to repent, and then you weren't going to wipe them out. And he was angry because God's judgment didn't fall. But God isn't anxious to judge. I think that we oftentimes have a false concept in our mind concerning God that he is just sort of standing over us with a club, waiting to bash us for the first wrong move. Not so. God is desiring to show his mercy unto you, and he's just looking for an excuse. He's just looking for you to give him an excuse to say, well, that's all right, I forgive you. Just looking for you to say, oh, God, I'm sorry. For his mercy endureth forever. So the psalmist expresses actually a glee in the destruction that is to come upon Babylon, but it is not really the expression of God's heart when the judgment will fall. I'm sure that God always weeps over judgment. We find Jesus looking over the city of Jerusalem and weeping. Why? Because of the judgment that was going to come upon the city. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known the things that belong to your peace in this, at least in this thy day. But now they are hid from your eyes and your little children are going to be dashed in the streets. And, and he's weeping as he, as he speaks of the judgment that is going to, it's not a gleeful thing. It's all right, you know, we'll get even with you. You reject me, you crucify me, we'll take care of you, you know. We'll put you up on a Roman giblet, you know, and see how you like it. Not at all. It's weeping. Weeping because their actions necessitate the judgment of God. But weeping over the judgment. And I am certain that whenever God is forced to judge, that there's always a great sorrow in the heart of God. Psalm 138, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Here David is expressing his praise unto the Lord, praising God with a whole heart, praising God for his loving kindness, his truth, and for his word, that God has magnified his word above his name. Now, in all the earth, there is no name like the name of God. In the Old Testament times, the Jews held this name in such high esteem that they would never pronounce the name of God. They felt that no human's lips were worthy to pronounce his name. And it came to pass that as they would copy the scriptures, when they came to the name of God, they would only copy the consonants, leaving out the vowels, so that a person would not even 
pronounced the name in his mind as he was reading because just the consonants were unpronounceable. And so in the reading of the scriptures, when they would come to this name of God, they would just bow their head and worship. Now, as we've gone through the Psalms, you've noticed how often it says, Thy name, O Lord, is above all the earth. Thy name, O Lord, is to be magnified. Thy name, and all of the emphasis that was put upon the name of God. The name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. And so they would just put consonants, Y-H-V-H, try and pronounce it. It's impossible to pronounce. They left out the vowels deliberately so that people would not be tempted to pronounce the name. This was never required of God. This was just sort of something that man, by religious tradition, picked up on. There are a lot of things that God doesn't require. Men have just made them religious traditions. And so we follow in the religious traditions of man things that are not necessarily commands or even desires or wishes of God. Man always has to make some kind of religious hocus-pocus out of things rather than just taking it straight as God dished it out. And so we do not know for sure the exact pronunciation, but it is thought to be Yahweh. There are some who say Yahovah, and there is you know, a theological debate on what is the correct pronunciation, whether it be Yahovah or Yahweh. It seems that Yahovah is a more recent type of a pronunciation dating from maybe the 16th century and that Yahweh is indeed the correct pronunciation for the name of God. We don't know, but Yah is the, is the contracted form. They would re refer to it as Yah. And thus, there were many names that had this Yah in it. Yahoshaphat, Joshua, Yahshua actually, or Yahshua. And this Yahshua, the contracted form of Yahweh is salvation, is the name Jesus in Greek. So he was given one of the names of God, Yahshua, Jehovah has become our salvation. Now, in the New Testament, we read that God has given to him, that is Jesus Christ, a name that is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. A name above all names. Yet, as important as is the name of Jesus, as glorious as is the name of Jesus, yet God has honored his word. Thou hast magnified thy word above even thy name. Now, as I say, there's nothing more important than the name of God, and yet he has put his word even above the name as far as magnifying his word. 
Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. We need also to honor the word of God even as he has honored it. In the day, the psalmist said, when I cried, you answered me and you strengthened me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. And so referring to the word of God. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. And though the Lord be high, yet he has respect to the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Here's again a good example of Hebrew poetry, the contrast. The Lord is high, yet he has respect to the lowly, but the proud. So you have the contrast here. He knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You shall stretch forth your hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of thy own hands. I love this verse. The Lord will perfect that. And the word perfect is to complete. God's going to complete that which concerns me. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Psalms on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalms 136 through 138 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. And now may the Lord help you to assimilate that which we have studied, and may he bring to your remembrance those things which he has commanded. May the Lord be with you, to bless you, guide you, and may you be kept by that power of God through faith and trust in him. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? 
and how should I respond? It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.